Chapter Twenty Two of Paul, a Herald of the Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Paul, a Herald of the Cross by Florence M. Kingsley. Chapter Twenty Two A Boatman of Antioch. In the reign of Antiochus, king of Syria, began the man who rowed the two strangers in his boat, it happened one day that an enemy came stealthily across the borders of the kingdom. The enemy came by way of the sea in a small, mean vessel from Egypt. No one saw him when he landed. No one heard him when he fled away into the land on the wings of the wind. But wherever he went, the death angel followed and gathered great sheaves of lives into his arms. King Antiochus heard after a while that the enemy was come, and also what he was doing, but he laughed aloud in the midst of his great beard. "'What care I,' he said contemptuously, "'for such an enemy as this. Let him glut his maw with the bodies of my slaves if it please him. The birth angel holds wide the gate of life to the poor, and there are already too many of them.' But the enemy smote the king's army, and a thousand soldiers died in one day. Then Antiochus laughed no longer. He consulted his astrologers instead and poured libations to the gods. The second day another thousand passed over the sticks to join the first thousand, and this happened also on the third day, and for many days. Then was there a cry heard in the city, an awful wailing cry, which floated across the current of the broad Orontes and pierced the ears of the selfish king, where he sat in his island palace. The plague is upon us, the plague is upon us, and the people died by hundreds and by thousands, not on one day, but on many days, and the dead lay unburied in the streets. I will give from the gold of my treasury ten thousand talents, groaned Antiochus, when one told him with bated breath that the pestilence had crossed the river and had slain his first-born son in the arms of its mother. Ten thousand talents to the man who will appease the gods that this death be stayed in my land. And he caused a proclamation to be made of the same. On the third day after that this decree of the king was published, there came into his presence an old man, exceeding bent and wrinkled. He bowed himself before the king and said, O king, live forever. Thou art sorrowful and afraid because of this enemy which hath come upon thee, who hath glutted his maw not with the bodies of thy slaves only, but with the flesh of the rich and the mighty, not sparing flesh of thy flesh and bone of thy bone, O king. Now do thou give the ten thousand talents to ten wise and honest men, who shall thoroughly cleanse the city, and purge it from all death and uncleanness of whatsoever sort be in it. Let them cause, moreover, that the beds of them that have died, and their clothing, and whatsoever they have handled be gathered into heaps, and let the heaps be burnt with fire, and the ashes that remain shall they cast into the river. Let them give also to every one of the inhabitants that suffereth hunger a portion of food of the best that is in the royal houses. Let this be done during thrice seven days, so shall the plague be stayed. And when he had spoken these words, the old man departed and was seen no more of anyone, save indeed of a woman who declared that she had seen him go away in a boat. He went that way, she said, pointing down the river, 
and his long beard blew out far behind and spread and widened into a white mist, which received him out of my sight. Antiochus did straightway all that the strange old man had commanded, and it happened that when the city was thoroughly purged from death and uncleanness, and when the hungry were fed day by day with the best that was in the royal houses, that the plague was stayed, and Antiochus was glad at heart. Fetch me cunning sculptors, he commanded, and let them go up into the mountain which overhangs the city, and hew out from the crags thereof a likeness of this aged one, who by his counsels hath saved us from death. For I believe by my soul, and by the soul of my father, that it was no mortal that visited us in our affliction, but Charon himself, who conveys the souls of the dead in his boat across the chill river, which divides the land of the living from the land of the departed. And because he grew weary of the multitudes which passed from hence, he hath given us these good counsels. So they wrought the crag, which is called Silpius, into the semblance of an aged man wearing a crown, and it is called the Charionium unto this day. The garrulous boatmen paused as the strangers lifted their eyes to the crag Silpius, which at the bend of the river turned toward them its rugged profile, scarred by the storms of two hundred years. The king did according to his will, said one of them in a low voice. He exalted himself against the god of gods. But that which was determined was done, he came to his end, and there was none to help him. Thou also knowest the tale? said the boatman, looking somewhat abashed. It is true that it is an old story, he added apologetically. Tis in the mouth of every inhabitant of the city yonder. The keen eyes of the stranger rested quietly upon the face of the man as he answered, no son of Abraham is ignorant of the story of Antiochus since it was writ by the hand of the prophet Daniel before ever it came to pass. Ye are Jews, cried the boatman, allowing his boat to drift with the tide, as he looked with manifest astonishment from one to the other of his two passengers. Why then did ye offer me to drink from your cup and a morsel also of your loaf at the noontide? I am not ignorant of the ways of Jews, he continued with a shrug. They be plenty enough yonder, with a gesture in the direction of the distant city. And by that great Charon, I swear that any one of them would look upon a man of another nation dying with hunger and thirst, nor offer him bite nor sup. Nay, thou doest us injustice, said the second stranger gravely. There be those among the Jews of Antioch who are merciful to all men. Look you, good boatman, I also have heard this tale of the plague. And there be some who say that he who appeared in presence of the king was no other than an aged Jew, who dwelt in solitude not far from Antioch, that he might give himself to prayer and fasting in behalf of his afflicted people. And when he heard of the pestilence which prevailed in the city, he came within the walls that he might bring what succor he was able to them which suffered. The counsels, moreover, which he gave the king were in accord with the laws of the Jews, which laws also were given them of God in the days of old. As for Antiochus, it is told of him further, that knowing these things he restored to the Jews which were in Antioch the brazen spoils which he had taken from their temple in Jerusalem. For he perceived that the God of the Jews was great and mighty, and he was afraid because of the judgment of the plague. Yet after those days he gave himself again to idolatry and uncleanness and to all manner of wickedness, so that God cut him off suddenly in the twelfth year of his reign, even as had been foretold by the prophet. The Greek spat upon his hands and once more gave himself vigorously to his oars. What thou sayest may be true enough, he said indifferently, but for myself I am what the Jewish dogs yonder, saving your presence, good sirs, 
call a Gentile. Therefore I worship mine own gods and the gods of my fathers. I know no other. Dost thou indeed know thine own god, friend? said the stranger, leaning forward and looking earnestly upon the face of the boatman. Tell me what manner of god is he that thou dost worship, and how dost thou worship him? And what doth he do for thee in this present life? And what will he do for thee after that thy body shall have perished? Then will I tell thee of the living God, who not only saves men from out the evil of this present world, but who is also able to raise from the dead them which believe on him. The Greek stared into the face of his questioner, his bright dark eyes full of amazement. Then he threw back his curly head and laughed aloud. Thou art not only a Jew, but thou art a mad Jew, he said, when he had recovered himself. Come with me to the groves of Daphne when we have landed, and I will show thee what manner of God I worship, and how I worship him. It suffices the young and the merry. When my body shall have perished, why, I care not a denarius what becomes of me. Death is yet a long way off. He burst into a snatch of ribald song, looking sidewise at his two passengers, who had fixed their eyes somewhat sadly upon the city which was now near at hand. By Apollo, he muttered to himself, I must sweeten them up a bit before they leave me, else will my purse smart for it. Antioch is a merry place, good sirs, he said, aloud in a conciliatory tone. Not Rome itself nor Alexandria can furnish forth a better holiday, and I have seen both. If ye be not over strict Jews, honored patrons, as indeed I have perceived by your condescension to a humble boatman, ye may enjoy yonder in a single week all the pleasures of the world. Look you, he added, warming with his subject. There be races, games, dances, processions, festivals, shows of magic and sorcery, all manner of plays and entertainments. And as for the gods of which thou hast spoken, they dwell in the groves of Daphne yonder, a very paradise of pleasures, as thou shalt shortly see, for— Hold! interrupted the elder of the two men with an authoritative gesture. Thou mayst put us on shore at this point. We will enter the city on foot. If thou wouldst know our business in Antioch, he added with a shadowy smile, Come to the street Sinon to-night, and thou shalt learn if thou inquire diligently for Saul of Tarsus and Barnabas of Jerusalem. Not only Jews, but mad Jews by Apollo, said the boatman to himself, gazing after the retreating figures of the two men. He clinked the pieces of money which he held in his hand. They be sorcerers. Ay, that is it. Thou art a shrewd fellow, Onesimus. I will go to the street Signon that I may see. They will tell me what I must do to avoid my master. He jumped into his boat and floated away with the tide, singing melodiously a very wicked song, which was the fashion of the hour in the wicked city of Antioch. Onesimus did not go to the street Signon that night. The two strangers and all that they had said to him speedily slipped out of his mind before the incoming tide of a new day. As for sorcerers and fortune-tellers, there was no lack of them in the city. They were to be found in every wine-shop and upon the corner of every street. For a denarius a man might know what would befall him upon the morrow, where to invest his money that it might be doubled speedily, and whether his lady were true or false. There were also charms, potions, and magic rings of marvelous efficacy, to be obtained at all prices and for all purposes, so that a man might provide himself against every contingency of life for a meager handful of copper farthings. And if sorcerers, fortune-tellers, and magicians multiplied in Antioch, like swarms of noisome flies under the summer sun, so likewise did the dealers in darker commodities, with their retinues of skilled thieves, practiced cutthroats, and cunning poisoners, 
which these worthies confidently recommended to their patrons as the best and safest solvers of the desperate problems which were daily arising in gay Antioch. And with these a vast army of strolling musicians, quacks, panders, dancing girls, and acrobats, who plied their several avocations industriously all day long for the benefit of the throng of idle pleasure-seekers from every nation under heaven, which ebbed and flowed in a ceaseless tide of corruption through the thoroughfares of the city. The Greek Onesimus knew his Antioch well by this time. He had lived in it now for more than a year. Where he had dwelt previous to this time, and what his life had been, concerned no one, apparently least of all Onesimus himself. Life was a long holiday with him now. He took his pleasure easily, with no inconvenient memories to dog his footsteps. Money for his small needs was easily gotten in any one of a dozen ways, for he was a handy fellow and could sing a song, strum a lyre, relate a legend, or row a boat with equal facility. He envied no one, not even the nobles who lived in the beautiful marble villa surrounded by gardens and groves. Certainly not the frowning officials who drove their gilded chariots down the great central avenues of the city, and whose airs of pride and importance the facile Greek could imitate to the life, to the vast amusement of certain of his boon companions. Onesimus was confessedly a fine, clever, brave young fellow, free with his tongue, his laugh, and his money. As he strutted along the streets, his red boatman's cap very much on one side, his bold black eyes searching the windows for pretty faces. It is to be doubted if a merrier heart beat in Antioch. As he walked thus one day, whistling cheerfully to himself and clinking some bits of money in his hand, with which he had the intent to purchase a bowl of pottage for his dinner, he presently became aware of two young Greeks of his acquaintance on the opposite side of the street. "'Hi there, comrades!' he cried loudly. "'What cheer!' The two immediately crossed over to him. "'Come along with us,' said one of them, who was called Stephanus. There is something going on in the street, Sagnon. We are going to see it. In the street, Sagnon, repeated Onesimus, scratching his curly head reflectively. What is it, sorcerers, jugglers, dancing? I am in for it as soon as I have eaten a bit. Never mind the eating. Munch a mouthful of bread as we go. Tis neither sorcerers, jugglers, nor dancing girls this time, but something new. What, then? How shall we know till we see for ourselves? There be Jews there, strange fellows, who say and do wondrous things in the name of a certain Christos, their master. Magicians, after all, said Onesimus, snapping his fingers triumphantly. I said it. Said what? I myself brought certain Jews up the river six months ago who were magicians. They were civil fellows and asked me to look for them in the street Sinon. But by Apollo I forgot them till this moment. They had reached the place in question by this time, a narrow thoroughfare as Onesimus saw at a glance, and choked with people from end to end. By dint of much struggling and pushing, the three Greeks succeeded in making their way through the crowd to the spot, where elevated somewhat above the heads of the people, a man was standing. He was speaking in a low-toned but powerful voice, and this stillness was sufficient evidence that he was saying something which the people were eager to hear. For if you believe on this Jesus, whom I have preached unto you, were the words which Onesimus heard. Then shall ye become sons of God, and joint heirs with us of his glorious promises. And he that spared not his own son for our sakes, shall also with him freely give us all things. And know further that he that raised up this Jesus from among the dead, shall quicken our mortal bodies in like manner. 
for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that all wickedness and idolatry and filthiness must be put away from among you, for neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such are some of you. But ye must be thoroughly cleansed and sanctified from all sin in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. At this a tumult rose among certain of them which stood near the speaker. Away with this Jewish knave, cried one. He speaks with the tongue of a fool. We be men and not gods. A sign, a sign, bawled a score of his fellows blatantly. Show us a sign. A pest on this show, muttered Onesimus impatiently. There is nothing to be seen here. These be the same mad Jews I brought to Antioch in my boat. Let us go. And he began to elbow his way once more through the crowd. Suddenly he stopped short and looked hastily over his shoulder, his ruddy face assuming the color of death. A man who stood in the doorway of a house nearby was endeavoring to calm the excited multitude. I beseech you, good friends, he said in a loud, authoritative voice, to hold your peace that those of us who have come from a distance to hear these words may hear them. Christian! Christian! cried a derisive voice from the multitude. At this there was a great outburst of laughter, and the cry was repeated from half a hundred throats. Christian! Christian! In the midst of the tumult, Onesimus made good his escape out of the street, Sagnon. Merciful Apollo, he muttered, moistening his white lips. What if he saw me? He stood for an instant as if undecided gazing about him with the furtive, frightened look of a trapped animal. Then turning down a dark and narrow street, he sped like the wind towards the river, the derisive cries of Christian, Christian, pursuing him more and more faintly as he ran. End of chapter 22